We are live. All right, man. So we're going to start off this first podcast. And so Chad and I just thought about doing this quite a while, uh, but never really pulled the trigger until today. Um, so frequently, Chad and I will huh, call each other while we work and just have these kind of conversations. And we just decided that it'd be really cool if we just recorded it and put it up on a podcast. And so what I really wanted to talk to Chad about today was, you know, we had a lot of hopes and dreams when he bought 20 acres. And I kind of wanted to revisit some of those dreams that we had. And because we were so hyped, we were so hyped um, whenever Chad officially bought the land and we were able to um, start playing on it. So, Chad, do you want to go through just a couple things right off the top of your head of things that you wanted to do immediately when you took ownership of the land? Sure. And why don't you kind of also to like talk about the land, talk about the layout. Let's let's give the people, you know, we know what the land looks like, um, but let's try to explain, you know, the land first and the layout. Okay, yeah. So we've had the land about 13 months now. We bought it last November. Uh, you know, the leaves had already fallen off. Um, it was too close to deer season to properly hunt, um, though we did try multiple times. Uh, I had the, the idea of having what Chase and I grew up with when we were growing up and sharing that with our own children. Um, you know, it, it's just different when you've got fresh air breathing, um, trees to look at, and... Uh, you know, never knowing what's what's behind that tree line. You know, is there deer going to be back there? Is it a coyote, you know? Um, and what's nice about the land is we've got about a 30-foot long, six, eight-foot wide cabin um, that's got, you know, gas heat, a gas stove, um, a couple beds, a couch, and a hand-built... Um, table uh, that we eat around and it's just nice to go out there to, to kind of escape suburbia and um, you know I think that's a great point so Chad and I both live in suburbia um, what I'll call you know your your neighbors could have nicer cars than you and I'm not just your neighbors but your neighbors kids could have nicer cars than you <laughs> and so for for Chad you know in this land I just want to paint the picture a little even more. Um, you know, it's about 40, 40 minutes away from me and probably less than, you know, 30 for Chad. And you're driving, I'll call it west, and you're just driving and driving. And you're, you're on some highways, and then you get to some country roads. And you're driving through these. And I know you guys have all seen it, whether it be a road trip or not. You're weaving through these roads and you're looking into these neighbors' yards that got tractors and plows and rusted trucks and it's just something out of you know, a movie or like American Pickers, you know. You're driving deep into the wilderness and as you go you're getting more elevation, you're getting taller trees, thicker trees. The cars aren't as nice, but the people are. And I think that's what's so cool. And so Eventually, at least for me, it's about 40, 40 minutes away. 
you know, I get to his road, and this is a dead end road that I'll say spans probably a little more than a mile, less than two. And you're going down this road, and it's all gravel. And there's a sign about a quarter way in that says, This road is not maintained by the city. Right. Low maintenance road. Low maintenance. That's right. And what they mean by that is after that sign, the gravel stops. It turns into, I'll say, bedrock. And you've got got the big old stones in the middle of the road. You've got uh, washout. You've got dirt and mud and everything you can imagine. Because there is nothing past that sign as far as residential uh, housing. Other than our cabin, it is nothing but woods and trees and pastures and and cornfields um, for the remainder of the time for, you know, about a mile and a half is what I measured. Yeah, and it feels like 10 miles because the terrain can be so rough or slick, depending on if it rained the last couple of days, um, that, you know, you really do have to take it at a lower speed and four-wheel drive every time. So... You're, you're going through these, these tight, I'll call it a driveway, right? Because there's only a couple houses on this road, and they're very much closer to the road itself um, that goes perpendicular. So, you know, you've got a half mile of just nothing but trees and bedrock to get to the cabin. And so, you know, you pull up to the cabin, you see the cabin, um, and there's just a little clearing. Um, and then I think we looked at Google Maps one time. And right after this clearing where the cabin and the shop is, you know, there's about a, a 500 feet drop in elevation where there's this huge ravine um, and a creek runs through it. So Yeah, it's one of the largest creeks that would have been better called a river. Um, There's multiple springs along this creek bed where fresh water will flow, uh, including a a spring on the property on the far west side of it. And so our our 20 acres is more of a uh, rectangle than a a square. Um, So it is wider. It is more east and west wide than it is north and south long. Um, But it actually um, works with the terrain. with the layout of the creek, uh, what trees have been cleared, and like Chase mentioned, our cabin and our shed where we keep our toys like our four-wheelers or tractors and stuff is actually only about 10% of the total property. The rest is just trees, this creek bed, um, where you know we can you can really get lost. Um, you go down yeah. to the creek bed, you look back up to where you came from, and there's 40-foot high uh creek sides creek walls um yeah it's quite scary honestly i think and that was going back to my original question you know one of the things we wanted to clear up was and we need to be able to see more because when you're at the bottom of this creek bed i'll say and you're looking straight up and all you can see is trees and you can't see really farther than i'll say 50 yards because there's so many trees staggered and it sometimes brush underbrush 
you know, one of our first goals was really to clear up some of that stuff to give more channels for, for deer or other wildlife to ch- channel in. Yeah, there's about two acres dead center in the the rectangle of our property that acts as a bedding area for some of the local deer population. Um, I've stuck a trail cam in there, and I've caught, you know, does with their fawns in there, but as of recently, there's been a couple coyotes that have found their way in there, scaring off our our, our baby deer and, and their mommies. So, uh, it, I, I totally think we should clear it out a little bit more, um, if nothing better than to wait for those stalking coyotes coming and scaring off our deer population. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. And honestly, if some of you landowners out there know or have experienced any of it, we, I don't know, my brother and I are always open to criticism or advice or concerns that you guys may have. So drop a comment down below. Let us know what you guys did or what you think we should do because, you know, we grew up on land, but it was our parents' land and they really did a lot of the work before us. Um, so yeah. we're, we're learning a lot of this on our own. And speaking of, you know, not our land, you know, there's always a sense of, Am I going to step on their toes if I decide to do X, Y, and Z? Like, obviously, on our parents' land, you know, they had a raccoon problem. They had rodent problems. They still complain almost weekly about ground moles that are, you know, up-earthing their backyard. Um, So one of the things I got into this summer was trapping using dog-proof traps. So the little, you know, soda cans that got have a trigger... um, that's non-lethal that will trap their arm, trap their rodents in their arm. Um, and what what I've done is I, I bait them with cat food. So here at home, we have two cats. And I'll just take a handful of their cat food, um, put in a Ziploc baggie, and when I'm out of the land, I'll, I'll check the, the traps. And if I need to refill it or top it off or sprinkle some around to kind of bait in these rodents, that's exactly what I do. And we've got a cellular trail cam pointed right at the traps that when we catch something, I know I've got to go out there and dispose of. Uh, oh, and that cellular trail cam, if you guys don't have that, that is well worth the investment. I mean, even just having one to see kind of what's going on, all the nature around you sent to your phone, invaluable. But after your trapping, I had never done or experienced any kind of trapping and you actually you've had quite a bit of success with these these traps that you've been using how much have you caught now so in less than six months of my trapping experience i've got about four raccoons and five possums <laughs> <laughs> man you need to start you know skinning them and wearing some hats around trying to scare off some of that other now, possums and raccoons now let me tell you a story i, I haven't told you this one yet chase um for Christmas, we went down to see my wife's family um, down in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. And they have a huge raccoon population. And I volunteered to bring these dog-proof traps. And they they agreed. So the first day we get down there, uh, I go into the woods where they've been catching these raccoons that must be 30, 35 pounds big. Uh, and, and I set my traps. And I've got them staked down. I've got... Um, you know, the cat food that I've been baiting them with. Uh, and I guess this is the difference between Kansas and Missouri raccoons 
is the first night after setting those traps, the raccoons come, kind of pick around the traps, but leave the traps alone. You know, I always put some on the outside to kind of goad them in, bait them closer. Um, so the next next day I put out a little bit more cat food. Um, I even put a little bit more in the traps. And that night, a raccoon comes, gets caught. Uh, and I only know this because I'm checking the trail cam the next morning uh, that I was pointing at him. But when I go to the spot where the trail cam was pointing, there was no trap and no raccoon. So I ran back to the house, stuck the uh, SD card into the, the reader, and we're looking at the pictures. We caught the raccoon, and it was stuck. Then here comes another raccoon, looks at that raccoon who's stuck, and you know, I would undoubtedly say crying because you know their arms suck and that raccoon pulls up two I'll say eight inch stakes out of the earth and the trap that's also staked into the earth freeing that raccoon <laughs> and then you see it kind of limp off like a pirate with a peg leg <laughs> away from where uh, the trail came was that is unreal so this raccoon that freed the other one was humongous. Uh, it, it must have been closer to 40 pounds. It was as big as I've seen um, in the six months I've been doing this trapping. That is one big raccoon. I'm still laughing because I just imagine some raccoon walking in the woods with a trap with stakes, stakes around him. Yeah, stakes in this pop can-sized trap around its right arm. <laughs> Just kind of kathunk, kathunk, kathunk. <laughs> well, dude, that's crazy, man. Ugh. I didn't know they got that big. I really didn't. I didn't either until... I, I would say the first raccoon I caught was as big around as my four-year-old son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love it. So, we want to take care of some of those rodents. Uh, we also have, you know, dreamed of, you know, my brother and I are big into shooting and that kind of stuff. So we want to do, you know, some kind of outdoor range, whether that include pistol, rifle, and maybe, you know, trap, trap shooting thrower for our shotguns. Um, also include a bow range. You know, we want to get, um, you know, one of those deer decoys that you can shoot your bone arrows in yeah we, um, we i want to get experience with you know 3d archery with with the realistic looking targets uh with the little uh, foam inserts that you can replace when you get them shot up yeah yeah from different angles so you know shooting at them in our tree stands and our redneck blind um basically anywhere and everywhere to just get better at the different angles so I was shooting at a 3D place here close by my house, and the guy really talked about, you know, the three different axes of a bow. So you obviously, you have your left to right, and when I say left to right, think of it as you putting a construction level up on a picture. And so much like that picture leaning left to right you can also lean your bow left to right mm -hmm. and so that 
access alone was an access I never accounted for. And I had seen the levels on my boat before, but if you're in a tree stand and you're looking at your target and you torque your way a certain, your torque your body a certain way, that third axis could be completely off. Throwing that arrow, coincidentally, that off too and in the direction of where you're leaning. And so not only do you have up and down, you have left to right, and then you have that third axis of is my bow straight up and down like a picture should be. Right. Yeah, uh, that's something that I've been working with. So the site I've got has just a horizontal bubble level, I'll say. So I've got my pins, and once I've got my pin uh, where I'm aiming at and where I want to hit, I then take a glance down at that that bubble and make sure that it's dead center because archery is a, a game of inches, you know? And yeah. if, if, if something's going to swing your arrow a direction you don't want it to go to, like, like this third axis, then, you know, you've got to pay special attention because while it may not be too drastic at 20 yards, you're going to notice it at 30 and you're definitely going to notice it at 40. Yeah, I think I missed my first couple deer when I started bow hunting because of that. I really do. I think, you know, when you're in a tree stand or a blind all day and you're sitting down, you, you, you're not in tune with your body. You know, you're cold, you're shaking, whatever it may be. So <laughs> I forget. actually chalked up my first couple of years of um, not practicing enough, but really not practicing like you hunt and checking that level every time you shoot it. Yeah, you're you're talking uh, all the elements that affect your shot when you're hunting. Don't forget buck fever, man. That that thing still gets me every time. And with the bow, it's it's almost like it doesn't matter if it's a doe or not. You know, you're getting close enough for 20, 30 yards. You know that animal is about the size of you. You're you're gonna start to um, get that heart pumping a little bit more than if you had a thirty out six or a three hundred wind mag, and you're just looking at it a, a small little doe from a hundred yards. So definitely a difference, at least for me with bows. Now, does the bow you have does it have a vertical level? I no no I don't. So to me, vertical right, would just be uh, your distance, right? That would be your pins. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so. yeah, it, it's kind of like the airplane planes or axes too, where you've got pitch, yaw, and roll. Oh, nice, dude. So, <laughs> you know, for, for proper, you know, flight, you, you've got to balance all those. Um, I'm going to take a quick look. Speaking of bows, uh, now that we're close to wrapping up season, don't don't forget to use your bow wax. You know, I need, you know that's something we're really trying to get better at using. So, Yeah, in fact, thank you for reminding me. I, I need to get mine out and go and do that because over the weekend I, I was shooting down uh, at my wife's family's land and I noticed a few frayed strands on my string so immediately I'm like ah, I need to do that and I had actually accidentally taken it out during deer season when I was hunting with the bow because uh, I didn't want it freezing in my backpack 
So I've got it. Uh, I've got it, you know, stored in in my basement. Uh, it's climate controlled, but uh, I I need to wax my string. Yeah, I need to. I actually have my bow in my garage, and it's in a, a good quality case. Um, but I still don't want it exposed to, you know, our harsh winters here in Kansas, because uh, our garage gets as cold as outside. So, it's a that's a note for me as well. But, All right, man. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, going back, you know, a little bit to the land and you know some of the things that we dreamed of doing. You know, guys, if you have land, you know, enjoy doing stuff. You know, let us know in the comments. You know, we do check those. Um, but Chad, is there any other activities or things you want to go to on this this first podcast? Uh, no. You know, sometimes I, I do want to talk about uh, wildlife management versus land management and what exactly that means. What what kind of techniques can you, you know, alter your terrain to allow a, a larger population of the wildlife you're attracting, whether that be rabbits, um, you know, having some, some cut timber and some bush-type foliage around um, certain parts of your land, um, I'm I'm particularly interested in talking about you know what kind of wildlife or what kind of terrain do deer, white-tailed deer like um, in the Midwest. So yeah, I think that'd be a topic for next time. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea, man. All right, well, I'll call you next time, and we'll we'll have to do this. Okay.